Now he's playing hurt, so I don't think yeah. I can ever back out again based on this performance. By well, what you guys don't realize is I actually do this podcast just by myself in the bathtub. <laughs> I knew That's it. That's great. This is our city, and nobody gonna dictate our freedom. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Ladies and gentlemen, as we embark on episode four of the Sons of Bellhorn podcast, I want you to take uh, take a reflective look back at your life. That's a dramatic way to start a podcast, but you'll see where I'm going here. Think of a time when you saw something truly heroic. Think of a time when you saw someone you deemed a hero. Well, folks, I'm going to obliterate those memories right now because what we're witnessing right now blows all those memories out of the water because this right here, Steve Sheely, our buddy, this is a hero. This is heroic. And what this is is a man playing hurt because he just got his second COVID-19 shot. He's feeling lousy. I said to him in a text thread earlier today, look, buddy, we love you. Don't, don't press it. Don't hurt yourself. Sit this one out. It's like, hell no. Nothing's holding me back from the Sons of Bellhorn podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, here we are. But more importantly, here he is, a hero in our midst, Steve Sheely. How you feeling, bud? It's been too long, man. We shouldn't have left you guys out there with, with all this break we've had. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago on the pod, I said that I was, uh, was I caffeinated and vaccinated? Yeah, you well, were. Now I'm medicated and dedicated. Yeah, We got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You are, even if you're feeling lousy, you're looking healthy. Darwin Zuck's always looking healthy. You didn't have any ill effects from your second shot, did you not? Not too bad at all. I got to say, though, a couple times when I've had to postpone or cancel on you guys on a night, you know, we're always trying to get our schedules and coordinated. Of the person I feel most badly for and I, and I feel like hurt that I'm hurting him is Steve is Steven Sheely because he's he's just he's gung ho to get this going every week. He would do this daily if he could, I think. So I feel most badly when I say, you know, something's come up and I just can feel Sheely just oh, come on, Zook, what are you doing? We got to get this going. So and now he's playing hurt. So I don't think yeah. I can ever back out again based on this performance. By well, what you guys don't realize is I actually do this podcast just by myself. In the <laughs> I knew it. Great. That's oh, I, I read some rumors and I'm like, I think this guy's like cheating on us or something. He's doing his own, you know, Sheely's a bellhorn. It's still SOB, but you know, his own individual thing. We're glad that we brought you back to the herd. This is his practice run. <laughs> right, <laughs> he does right. his own. Yeah. He gets well, my reps own, in for the real thing. My own doesn't have a microphone. It's just a shower. Um, the, the shower head is all I talk into. I, and I, I, I do wow. stupid takes. Yeah. All, all, that all the sounds like more of a video type podcast. Yeah. That's going another direction there. Yeah. That's, that's an OnlyFans type podcast right there. <laughs> there we go. Before we really dive in, I, I just want to say, you know, we've talked about Sheely's health. What about my setup, guys? Look Not a word guy. about, look, I'm in my Sentra. I'm in my car, in my garage. And, I'm not saying I look good. I never look good, but the lighting, look at the look at the setup and the lighting in here. Not bad, right? It's incredible. It's a new, Thank it's you. a new Matt Waymeyer. Yes. I can finally see you again and you look yes. great, man. You've got the best lighting of all of all of us right here. So that's really nice. The only thing I would change is we gotta get the camera above you looking down. That's that's I mean, if you ask any high school girl taking a selfie, they'll tell you that's the most flattering image right there. Ah, yes, down, the down. angle. Yep. 
in my defense, there are no flattering images of me, period. But I see where you're going. I see where you're going. But I'm I'm just happy. Like I, I told uh, Tim, our producer, before we hit the air, I said, I finally, it just hit me like, like a lightning bolt. My wife has this the ring light that she uses for work, for her Zooming, for her job. And I'm like, oh, I can do that tonight. I didn't think it would look quite as good, but not bad, right? So, you know. I like I'm impressed. It. Thank you. Thank you. You guys still have better uh, setups in your basement, in your apartment. I'm in my freaking car. But um, like it's Sheila, you're a gamer. I try to be a gamer with the setup here. And uh, yeah, we're ready to roll because it's it's been a while. It's been a few minutes since we've uh, had the SOB podcast. This being episode four. Logical place to start. Mac Jones with the 15th pick in the 2021 NFL draft. The sixth time world champion New England Patriots select Mac Jones. Is he the new guy? Is, is, he, is he the heir apparent? Uh, now, I know that Bill Belichick came out and said very publicly, Cam is still our starter. And I guess that that's just towing the company line. That's something you have to say. But do you like the pick? Would you have rather had Trey Lance? Are you surprised when the pick went down? I need your feelings and emotions about this, my friends. It was Sorry. about time they drafted a quarterback, all right? Because that's – I mean, they've drafted quarterbacks in the middle rounds and taken some flyers at different times. Garoppolo was the closest that Belichick ever got to drafting a quote-unquote heir apparent to Tom Brady. Garoppolo was drafted in the second round. He eventually had to go because Brady kind of outlasted him, if you will, in New England. And so Garoppolo went to San Francisco. Somewhere Matt Castle is shedding a tear right now. Listen, he's very <laughs> yeah. upset. Castle, sixth round. We got the Rohan Davies, Jared Stidhams. You know, you can go down the line of the quarterbacks. Michael Bishops that were drafted in the later rounds, quarterbacks by Belichick. But if there was ever a time to draft a quarterback, and I've been riding Belichick hard over the last several months, uh, going back to last season, this was a time to draft a quarterback. My only issue was, was Mac Jones the guy they were targeting? Because I trust Belichick to pick the next guy. But the problem is Mac Jones, in a lucky turn of events, fell to the Patriots at 15. If Josh Fields had fell, fallen to 15, would they have said, oh, well, I guess we'll take him then? I guess my point is, did the Patriots target Mac Jones as being the quarterback of the future for the next 10 to 15 years? Or was he just there? And the scouting department said, Bill, hey, we got to take him here. We got to do this. And Bill goes, yeah, OK, let's let's take the kid. Fair, you know, fair. I want them to target a guy and pick him. And I hope that's what it was. But I just don't know. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. No one's going to know for for. Ever, really. I mean, Belichick will never tell us no matter what anyone we could have, you know, all the uh, dirt on him in the world and he will never give up the actual truth. Uh, the one thing there's two things here. So Belichick, I liked as soon as the pick was ready or it was their turn to pick. He, Belichick got that pick in right away. So he was he was convicted there. He was going to go right ahead and draft Mac Jones. There was no second guessing like, oh, you know, maybe we should trade back or maybe we should that's that's always been the killer for me is every time i watch these drafts it's like getting so excited for the pick and all of a sudden they draft they trade back and you don't get another until the second third fourth round um so he went right ahead and he drafted him immediately as soon as he was able to um the second thing i really liked i don't know if you guys saw the video of mac jones walking up to the stage through the tunnel that he was going to 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 see goodell and shake his hand and, and, and get his hat and his jersey Dude was on a mission. Look at that Vince McMahon strut going yeah, on. I, I like that, that a lot. That you was sent cool. it to us, did you not? I thought I you think did. I did. I think yeah. I did. <laughs> so good. Uh, and 
you could hear Sheely just to piggyback off what he was saying. Jones said to Goodell, this, you know, this is where I really want it to be. Now, I know a lot of guys say that kind of stuff, but it, I don't know. I kind of bought it right there that Jones really did want to go to New England. So that's a good sign. If you're Mac Jones, I'd much rather go there than some other crap hole town. Um, I, don't, I don't, can't think of any off the top of my head, Jacksonville or any like the Jets mm. or anything, but anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> See what you did there. No, I think, yeah, my only doubt and concern was, you know, is this the guy they always wanted? I mean, I'll ask you, I mean, Shield, do you think that this was the guy Belichick was targeting or the scouts that they were targeting, or is it just that it fell this way? You know what I'm saying? Like, or is it a combination? I'm of two minds about that. So the, my first mind says, yes, this has to be their guy. He's in the Brady mold, right? He's the pocket passer that'll drop back and, and make a good decision downfield. But then you look at what uh, McDaniels and Belichick have done, uh, tried to do with Cam Newton, although Cam had a wet noodle for an arm. Um, he, they really like the running game. They really like having a motion quarterback that can, that can do a lot of things, extend the pocket, extend the play. Um, and that's what they had. They thought they were going to get with, with Cam and maybe what they thought they could get with Justin Fields. So which one they were actually targeting, who, who really knows? But I got to think, Belichick knows what he's getting in Mac Jones. He's had that quarterback in Brady. I'm not saying that he's Brady or he has that talent or skill level, but he's a similar type of quarterback. So at least he has comfort in that, and they've run the, those series of the, that, that offense with someone like Mac Jones before. Yeah, I mean, and the, the pick is a home run. I agree. I think it's a home run pick. You can't go wrong. You got a quarterback that the 49ers, I think, originally were thinking about at three. And one of the reasons they traded up, I'm not sure they were always decided on Trey Lance. I think Agreed. they loved Mac Jones. And, you know, you hear a lot of mixed things on Jones. But generally, the feeling is this guy, like you said, Sheila, he's accurate. He can move in the, within the pocket. It, similar to Brady and footwork or whatever. And, you know, we're only comparing because Brady was with, with the Patriots. I mean, you could compare a lot of pocket quarterbacks to, to Mac Jones. So I think that's a home run. My only issue is, is the quarterback room going into this season with all the money spent. Does it make sense to have Cam Newton, as you just said, is kind of a moving quarterback and does different things than Mac Jones, even when Cam was in his prime, kind of nothing like Brady or Mac Jones, even in college. And now you have Jones and you have Stidham. It's just a weird quarterback room. And I'm still not sure that it puts them in a great spot for next year. You know, if they had a Jimmy Garoppolo, that puts them in a good spot for next year, a developed, established quarterback. But that doesn't look like it's going to happen, clearly. So I worry about the dichotomy of Jones, Newton, and having that quarterback room work. Well, it, you, you mentioned Jared Stidham right there. And I'll tell you what, I, if I'm Jared Stidham, I hope I'm renting, not buying right now, because yeah. I don't think his time in, in New England is, is long. Um, yeah, no, I in, in but other teams have had that that issue before that you have really different types of quarterbacks. And the one thing I was thinking is McDaniels is an innovator in offense. He does a lot of things, uh, trick plays, different things like think about Edelman throwing the ball downfield against the Ravens in the playoffs. I wonder, and we've seen New Orleans do this a couple of times or a lot over the past few years with uh, their quarterback situation, having two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. I wonder if that's something that they'd consider doing. Turn Cam Newton into a running back on a play and have Mac Jones run the offense. I don't know. I'm going to pose a question to the two of you, which I'm very curious about. How much did the Belichick-Saban relationship play in this pick? Steve Sheely. Lead us yeah. off, my friend. No, I mean, Greg Schiano and, and uh, Saban are the two coaches that, that, that Belichick trusts beyond anyone else. If you look at any of their draft picks over the past decade, 
that's where majority of the people come from, it seems. And sometimes it's been good. Other times, not so much. Uh, I would love to be a fly in the wall and hear those conversations between Belichick and Saban and hear the real thoughts. Because obviously, if they're friends, Saban's going to give the dirt on Mac Jones to Belichick. So I'd love to hear the, the, the actual truth of what Saban said. If he said, this is a, like Zook said, he's a slam dunk home run quarterback. You have to draft him. He is amazing. He's better than Tua. And, and, and I hope that's true. Uh, or if he's saying, yeah, you know, hey, he could fit your system. Sure. He's better than what you got. It's, it, you know, it's that that connection of Saban Belichick goes back. You know, if people listening don't know, I know we all know, but people might not. I mean, that goes back to the Cleveland Browns. These guys, it, Saban was a coordinator. Belichick was the head coach. Um, they, they've kind of romanticized what they did in Cleveland and some of the things you've seen in videos that have come out NFL network in the past several years, you know, they, they weren't that good. They made the playoffs, I think once, maybe twice. And Bernie Kozar was the quarterback and everything, but that right. connection, my point is, has been strong and, and vital for a long time. And Belichick has used Saban more than any other college coach over the last decade, two decades as a, someone to bounce ideas off. And even more importantly, as, as someone to really rely on as who to pick. And it's worked out in some cases. Dante Hightower comes from Alabama. There's the list goes on of different players that have come from Alabama and been successful with the Patriots and Saban recommendations. Um, and I, and I think Saban was high on Mac Jones and Jones is, you know, the guy has a master's degree. He went to school for three and a half years as a master's degree. I mean, if the guy is somewhat brilliant in a lot of ways, from what I've heard, and I think he cerebral, wise could step right in and play very soon in new England. The question is, is will Belichick allow that to happen? Cause he's not someone that likes rookies usually to play. So what's that over under when say he is going to start at some point this season, what is the over under is, is it saying eight week eight? Are we saying over or under for that? Oh boy. That's tough because I, I think, you know, the larger point is that, you know, Mac Jones is in such an optimal position. It's it's he's the substitute teacher. You know, the most popular guy on the roster is the backup quarterback. And all he has to do is wait for Cam to falter or get hurt. We hope he doesn't get hurt. We don't wish that on anybody, obviously. But if one of those two things occurs, he gets injured, he falls off, his play diminishes, boom, in comes Mac. And he's, the, like I said, the most popular guy with the fans on the roster. So he's in a good spot. I, I don't see Belichick starting him in week one. I don't care if he completes every pass in training camp and in the preseason. Uh, I just don't, I think, I think you're setting him up to fail if you push him into, into the forefront right away. The problem though, and I hear that, is that if Newton plays, say, just decent, slightly better than last year, you know, or say he played the way he did the first couple games at times last year, and the team is much more talented. The roster is so much better now than it was last year. So say they start off four and two and then go to say five and three and then six and four, eight and three. How are you going to then justify and, and, and Belichick already has that connection to Cam and clearly likes the guy and the way he carries himself and his leadership skills. They might not even get to Mac Jones this year. And to me, that's concerning because. I don't think that no matter what Cam Newton does, even if they make the playoffs, he doesn't give you the best chance to win in a big game. And I'm interested in next year. Of course, I'm interested in the future, but I think I think Jones, based on what I've heard, is going to step in and be actually pretty impressive in preseason games and look good in practice. And I think it's going to put Belichick in a quandary of what to do because Cam Newton's personality, who he is, 
is not someone who fits as a backup quarterback. And I think that that's going to lead to some friction, perhaps within the team, guys that look up to Cam. Cam clearly has a lot of influence on people, even though he didn't play well last year. He's an influential guy. A lot of players like Cam Newton, they gravitate towards him. And you could be stuck in a situation where you have a little bit of a quarterback controversy where Cam might be just doing good enough to kind of hold the job, but there's this feeling that Mac Jones is better. And we know in New England that can blow up in a second with media coverage and everything. And it's like, what are we doing here? Are we just trying to like hold the fort down with Cam or are we trying to develop our young guy and win games right now and put Mac Jones in? So that that dichotomy worries me slightly about um, what Belichick's going to do in terms of when Mac Jones is in. I want to see Mac Jones in by week four. So to answer your question specifically, Sheely, week four is my target date. <laughs> okay, I'll take the over on that. I think it'll be, probably be longer than that. However, I, do, I will say this. The one thing I'm not worried about is Bill, Bill Belichick turning the page. That's something that, you know, the last time they had a uh, controversy at quarterback, you know, a young Tom Brady took over for Drew Bledsoe. uh, And he didn't look back because he knew that Brady gave him the best chance to win. Uh, He's a realist. He knows exactly what he has in his quarterback situation there. So if he needs to turn that page, I don't think he's going to hesitate. Well, can I just jump in there? I would, I would agree with you on the Bledsoe Brady thing, but I would say that Back in 2014, this will maybe come out one day. I, Belichick wanted to pivot to Garoppolo after that, maybe not the first year, but with that time when they had to trade Garoppolo and they only got the second round pick and he went to the Niners and everyone's like, they could have got three first rounders for him. Remember how, how high the stock of Jimmy Garoppolo was? And he held on to him. I think Belichick was hoping not that Brady got hurt. I would never say that, but that somehow Garoppolo would take over that job and Brady would start to fade and it never did. So... I, yeah, he, he looks to pivot, um, but it doesn't always work out that way. And Mac Jones is, you know, holding up the jersey with Kraft and everything. And on the first day. So I just I think there's a lot of factors in play and ownership, wanting that new quarterback to play and Belichick wanting to win games. And I just think you could get in some friction territory there. But hopefully, you know, preseason and practice uh, this year will iron some things out. But I, I think watching Mac Jones more and more and seeing film stuff that he's ready to go pretty soon let's just wrap up the jones cam discussion with uh, a theory i guess i want to see if you guys are on board with this you know when when the patriots brought in cam last year there was no question that he was coming in to be the starter 100 hands down slam dunk point blank period do you feel perhaps that bill belichick is thinking all right you know what different year different circumstance. I'm going to bring in this stud QB from Alabama, who just, just coming off a national title. And I'm going to light a fire under cam to let him know that, you know what? Nothing is guaranteed this year. Like it was last year. And maybe that's a motivational tactic to get cam to reach his previous heights. Do you think that maybe there's something there that's playing into the whole equation a little bit? Well, I just don't think it's about talent with Cam. I think it's all about health. If he's healthy, he's a good quarterback. He's proven that in the past. The, the problems he has always had is when he gets hurt, which happens to be a lot because he is a mobile quarterback, which, you know, he's he's nimble and he gets around people, but he still takes a lot of beatings back there. So I, I think if he ever has an issue, it's it's health. I don't think it's talent right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Cam's done, personally, and I think he's been done for a while. That's just, I know Sheila and I have gone back and forth. You don't have to revisit it. He... Sheely, I know his point about COVID. He was good before and bad after. I would argue that if you actually look at some of the games, that's not the case, but whatever. We can argue that all day. The point is... I think it was his know, arm. I don't think it was COVID. 
You think it was his arm? Okay, well, yeah, his shoulder. His shoulder, and and I'm not sure that he'll get back to the Cam Newton we think about. I mean, and I'm not trying to overstate it. I mean, I've never been a Cam Newton guy. I didn't like it when he wouldn't dive on the ball in the Super Bowl and said afterwards, I'm not risking my health to dive on a ball. And I remember at the time saying, wow, I don't like this Cam Newton. He's not my guy. I want my guy diving on the ball in the Super Bowl. So I, you know, and I understand he's indoctrinated himself with Belichick and they're close now and and this and that. I just, I, I would like to see the Patriots as a fan you know, I've been itching for the move forward. Now you got rid of Brady. I didn't like that. He went to want a Super Bowl. He might have another one in him. So move on now. If you're going to move on now, you've got a guy, get him ready, get McDaniels on him, get him in there, move forward. And that's the way to do it. Report card time. Uh, the non Mac Jones Patriots picks. What do we think about them? Steve Shealy? I liked Christian Barmore, the uh, D tackle from Alabama. Again, another Alabama guy, right? I mean, of course, going back to the well there. Uh, that's, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not going to go too much further than that. Um, I don't know. They, they did draft a guy named Bledsoe, which I thought was kind of cool out of Missouri. Did they really? <laughs> I didn't even know <laughs> in round six, they drafted uh, a linebacker from Michigan who has like a torn ACL. He's not going to play all year. So, yeah. It's uh, a future pick. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, with these picks, you never really know, but I, I do like Christian Barmore. I thought he was a good pick. Uh, they moved up to get him. And anytime the Patriots move up to get someone, uh, I think that's, that's shows you exactly what they're going to do. Um, yeah. And Sheila, just to jump, sorry, just jump off on Barmore. That's an interesting pick because yeah, it's, you just said it. It's rare. The Patriots move up to get a guy. And then, you know, I've been listening and, and trying to find out more about him and why the Patriots are into him. I mean, he was really good when he was on the field, but he also was a rare player. I mean, I understand deta- de- defensive linemen come off the field, so they don't play 100% of the snaps, is what I'm trying to say. But he only played 50% of the snaps um, his final year there at Alabama, and his numbers actually went down in terms of snap count. And there was a lot of rumors of off-the-field lethargicness and different things. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. And if one thing I give credit to Belichick, when you come into the program, you either shape up and they'll help shape you up or you're gone. So you're not going to be gone though. If you're, if you were moving up, they moved up to get the guy. So now they're kind of committed to him right now. So I hope that those issues that off the field, there are questions of, um, you know, how hard he works if that's an issue, then we got a problem. But hopefully Belichick can fix that and get him ready to play. I'm a little lethargic off the field right now myself. So I, I can <laughs> You're I can performing identify. admirably. You are. I mean, nobody watching right now would ever think, oh, man, this guy's he's, he's dragging ass right now. He's sick. He's not feeling well. I mean, you are. The, I think, uh, again, Tim, our producer, brought up the Jordan flu game. But yeah, flew my ass. But, you know, it, the point was that you, you pull yourself together, you know, uh, in the face of adverse circumstances to, to perform for your team. And, and I mean, you're, do, you're putting Jordan to shame, man. Really? Hey, man, not, not all heroes wear capes. That's all I'm going to say. That's right. And your bald head looks better than Jordan's. <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little shiny, too. It's a, it's a good shiny. It's a good shiny. Well, guys, uh, I think the most remarkable thing that the Patriots accomplished in the draft was quite simply knocking the Red Sox off the back page for a day or two. I mean, because the nation has risen. As Darwin likes to say, <laughs> I was going to say that's Zeus line, man. That's oh, yeah. I mean, I got I got to steal something from the guy. He's coming up with a you know lines left and right. Uh, but credit where credit's due, Darwin Zuck. The nation has risen. Uh, as we sit here, they are still our first place old town team. Most wins in baseball. Most wins in baseball. I mean, it's is that true? It is. Yes. 
most wins in baseball. They've got one of the best offenses in baseball. I mean, the core of Xander, JD, and Raphael, that's as good of a one, two, three. That's as you'll find in the game right now. How much are you guys surprised? For me, the most surprising name you just said out of those three is Raphael Devers. The other two I kind of expected, but Devers seemed like he was trending in the wrong direction in his career in the last couple of years. You know, jump in if I'm wrong. But to me, that was that's the most surprise. If you mentioned J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, that I jumps would, out at me as, whoa. I would say J.D. is more surprising to me, to be honest, because he was dreadful in 2020. Now, Rafael wasn't good, but Devers had an amazing 2019 when he, I mean, he was setting records or at least being in, in Ted Williams conversations about, you know, extra base hits in a season, slugging percentage in a season. I mean, he was up there with some of the all-time greats in franchise history. J.D., meanwhile, he had the you know video option taken away from him, and he was horrible. He's got it back, not quite to the extent that he had in 2018, but clearly the results are night and day. So I, I, would, I would say J.D. is a little more surprising. Xander, you can set your watch to him. He's always steady, always consistent. But, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a funny team to me because I think that the, the rotation is still smoke and mirrors. They've gotten by with it so far. The bullpen's faltered a little bit lately, but by and large, they've been better than expected. Matt Barnes has become somehow an elite lockdown closer. Wasn't uh, he best... a player, uh, reliever of the month or something? Like yeah, that? which I thought was weird because the role this Chapman, as much as I hate the guy and he's a scumbag, uh, he hasn't given up a run all season. He's been terrific, but whatever. I'm glad Barnes won it. Um, but, I mean, the, the bottom third of the order is a black hole. Uh, the rotation, like I said, smoke and mirrors. They're finding a way, and it's, you know, I think for as, as little as we were engaged four weeks ago, uh, I, you know, I personally have become more and more into this team and following them, and, you know, do I, am I seeing a parade, a duck boat parade in November? Not necessarily, but it's been fun so far, and I got to admit, I am much more into Red Sox baseball in 2021 than I ever thought possible during the course of the offseason. I, I completely agree there. I was, I was actually going to say the exact same thing is coming into the season. I was saying things like, man, this is the least interested I've ever been in a Red Sox team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I'm always, I'm always railing against the whole Mookie trade. And that's, that's been the prime number one reason why I think going in a couple of years ago. Uh, and that's, that's kind of carried over. And just looking at this team, I was like, man, I mean, Marwin Gonzalez, you know, ugh, Kike Hernandez. I mean, they, they, yeah, I don't know. Franchi Cordero. Franchi, don't call me Willie Mo Pena Cordero over mm. there. Uh, Hunter Renfro, who, by the way, has the best baseball name in the history of the game. Hunter Renfro was born and bred to play baseball. He, he may was. not be very good, but at least his name and sounds like a baseball player. What are, what are his initials? Oh, HR. Yeah, I mean, pretty that cool, right? Yeah. That's even, you know, for sure. more, more meat on the bone. <laughs> Going back to what you were saying about a little bit of a surprise in, in terms of JD coming back, I think I agree with that because he was trending in the wrong direction, whereas yeah. I could I think you could say that Devers had a blip um, last year where he was, I don't know, he, he just fell off. However, even though he had a blip, he was still smoking balls. It just yeah. wasn't finding any grass. Right. Uh, this right. time, he's still smoking balls, and they're still they're finding grass. JD mm-hmm. seems to, like you said, the, the video... Um, the video work that he's able to do in games now is back for him. So that's been a help, but it's, yeah. I don't think it's just that. I think he's also made mechanical adjustments at the plate too. So that's, that certainly helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. This team, this team one through five in the order is really, really good. Really, yeah. really talented. I would say the six through nine is kind of a black hole right now. Yeah. Um, 
I'm, I, we, you know, Albert Pujols was just recently released. Maybe we can get him oh, to replace man. Hunter Renfro in left field. I don't know. What a shock. Um, I, uh, maybe not a shock, but just to see his name associated yeah. with a, you know, team releases player X when player X is Albert freaking Pujols. Imagine wow. the Yankees didn't do that to A-Rod to get Pujols gets dumped. Yeah. Kind of weird. Yeah. And we also and forget all... with this Red Sox team, just we were doing the podcast a few weeks ago and how they got swept in that first series. So it really is yeah. a turnaround, too. It's not just like they came out of the gates just blazing right out of spring training. Yeah. It was kind of like we were like, oh, my God. This season's going to be brutal. It's going to be even worse than last year. So like that turnaround, I think you have to give some credit to the manager and having him back. I think Alex Cora does. Was that Brad Stevens? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) and ironically, because baseball might be the least sport. Sometimes the manager is involved because it's all the nerds upstairs telling people when to come out of the game. But Alex Cora's demeanor and who he is as a former player. I think he just brings something. I don't know what it is, but he brings an intangible quality to the team. Where you kind of see Alex Cora, I see him at a, a presser after the game, or I kind of, and I'm just like, oh yeah, th- this is a winning team. He exudes winning somehow, um, and obviously World Series have helped, and being with the Astros, and then leading the Red Sox to World Series. But he just seems to convey a confidence that the team rallies around, and I don't know, it seems to be it's working right now. I think another guy right there. I talked a little bit about JD. I talked a little bit about Devers and, and Waymar. I know you you mentioned the guy I'm about to talk about now, Bogarts. Uh, I am in awe of Xander Bogarts right now. He just played his thousandth game for the Red Sox. Did he really? Yeah, he just did. <laughs> so, so check this out. It. Howard Bryant on Twitter. He's uh, I think he's at fully dissident uh, on Twitter. He tweeted this out. Xander Bogarts playing his 1000th game for the Red Sox. And to think for what he was to this town, Nomar did not play 1000 games in a Sox uniform. He only played 966. Games. Wow. That kind of floored me. I didn't even expect that. I, That's shocking. And then you look back at Xander's career, and he's had a better career than Nomar Garciaparo. Blasphemy. He has really, really been good. And the other thing that he's really been doing the last couple of years, he's adopted into that leadership role in the team. He's the steady person on that team that you look for. Um, and, you know, Darwin, one thing that you and I always go back and forth on is, uh, is Marcus Smart. And, and we need Marcus Smart out there. He's the leader. He gets in people's faces. He fires people up. That's not what Xander Bogarts is. He's not a rah-rah guy, but he is still a leader. So it shows that you don't have to be that rah-rah guy, but he commands respect of everyone on the team. He's steady. And maybe it's just different than baseball is a little bit different than basketball. Um, sometimes the rah-rah really doesn't play in baseball. But I, uh, I'm super impressed with Xander Bogarts. He's, uh, he's really, has this softened your feeling of Mookie Betts leaving now that Xander has stepped into the leadership and talent void Ooh. that maybe Betts Ooh. left behind negative ghost rider. The <laughs> pattern is full. <laughs> uh, no, Just checking. No. Cause you're, no. you're beaming about Xander and I thought yeah. Mookie might be hurt by your comments. Yeah, I'm, f- I'm fanboying a little bit. No, I it, listen. I'm never going to let go of Mookie Betts going on because he's a generational talent and Xander Bogarts isn't necessarily that kind of player, uh, but he's one notch below. He is right there. What's crazy about Xander, is, you know, you brought up the the thousand games and how he's still, you know, on the good side of 30, so to speak. He's got two rings, which a lot of people forget. You know, he was on the 2013 team, obviously on the 2018 team. And that, you know, really helps when, you know, what you were mentioning, Darwin, about a guy who commands respect amongst his peers that, you know, not only, you know, to be that accomplished and still young, that's rare to have that, you know, 
that duo of, of assets, you know, uh, on your ledger. And Xander certainly has that. So, uh, you know, like I said, he's a guy you can just kind of set your watch to, you know, so consistent, you know, you can count on 20, 25 home runs, uh, an average north of 300 or very close, you know, driving in between 85 and 100 runs. You know, he is that guy. He's that steady force. And when we're seeing contracts, ridiculous contracts being given out to the likes of, you know, Francisco Lindor, I mean, our, oh my God, I can't even <laughs> just mind-blowing how, how poorly he's doing hey he just um, broke like an 0 for 20 streak he's pretty good he got a hit yes as we sit here he did uh he did have a hit today uh drew three walks so he's still he's still got a good batting eye but just the the hitting results are not there but you know getting back to the point like you know the money to him the money to tatis the money that is coming to story and correa and these guys that are going to hit the open market in the offseason we've got xander for what six years and 120 that's pocket change <laughs> compared to what these other guys either are making or what they're going to make. And another reason to just love everything about Xander Bogarts right now, the defense has not been great. Uh, he's been far from a gold glover, but I think that can be forgiven because of everything else he brings uh, to this team. So one other guy I did want to bring up that we haven't mentioned yet, and I think deserves some kudos. And Sheila, I, I especially want to see how you feel about it. Alex Verdugo. I think he's a guy that deserves a, a lot of credit for how well they've started. And this is a guy going back to the whole Mookie situation. I mean, he has the most thankless task in baseball. He's the guy, whether you like it or not, whether he likes it or not, hey, you're replacing Mookie Betts. Now, it's it's not that black and white, but essentially he is that person because he's out there in right field now and number 50 is not out there in right field anymore. And he uh, he gave an interview to Boston, uh, Boston Globe about a week ago, and he said, look, Mookie Betts is amazing. I am no Mookie Betts, but I just go out there and I play my game. I love this team. I love the city. And, I mean, he, to me, he gave the perfect answer. He, You know, he's batting north of 300. Uh, he's another guy I think is going to get you 20, 25 home runs. He's fit so well into that number two hole. He's a great fielder. He's not Mookie Betts out there. Who is Mookie? But he's got a terrific arm, good range in the outfield. And if you are going to trade a generational talent, you better get a guy back the likes of Alex Verdugo. I think he deserves a lot more credit than what he's being given credit for, in my opinion. Completely agree. And that's something that, you know, I feel bad just railing against the, the Red Sox for trading away Mookie Betts because Verdugo has been so good. And if you look at the numbers, right, this year he's hitting 314, to your point, hitting over 300, with a 379 on base, 520 slugging, with four home runs and 14 RBIs. Our boy Mookie? He's hitting 248 with a 350 really? on base percentage and only three home runs at six RBIs. Wow. So if you look at who has the better stat line this year, uh, at you know you just said that Mookie's probably the little bit better of a fielder, but Verdugo's, but you know he's not hurting himself out there and not hurting anyone else. So no. he's probably had a little bit better of a year. It's it is amazing to think that that outfield that that won the title in 20 that the Betts JBJ uh, Benintendi outfield and Benintendi's playing great with the Royals, by the way, that so, that uh, outfield yeah. would be all gone right now. It's just, it's kind of hard. Like the, the team is playing well right now. And I've enjoyed watching Verdugo play and some of a few of the games I've watched, but it's just, it's amazing to think that those three guys that I thought were going to be, and I think a lot of people thought would be mainstays for a long time. And I guess they were there several years, uh, at least like Bradley jr. Was and bets Benintendi only a few, but to have them all gone. It's, it's just kind of remarkable. It's funny you mentioned that because I was looking at their stats earlier today 
And, and Ben and Teddy's definitely having the best year so far of three of them, the three former outfielders from the Red Sox. Uh, but combined, they're averaging a 239 average or totaling a 239 average, nine home runs and 22 RBIs. Wow. How about that? <laughs> Less production than JD yeah. Martinez. I was going to wow. say, except, you know, and JD is obviously hitting way better than, than 239. So it just, uh, it goes to show. It goes to show. I mean, at, at the end of the year, is Mookie still going to be hitting 240? Not a chance in hell. He's Mookie Betts. But, you know, like you said, right now, you can't look at Alex Verdugo and complain. You, you can't look at, uh, you know, what might be because we've got the guy, at least at this stage, who's having the better season. Um, I'm still going to complain. That's fine. That's your right. All I'm saying is, look. That's part of Red I'm, Sox Nation is to complain. That's what, that's right. what we do. That's what we do. But, you know, as much as we miss, I think you could do both things. You can miss Mookie. You can do three things. Miss Mookie, hate the trade, and appreciate Verdugo. I think it's one doesn't cancel out the in other. In that two, order. In that order. The other. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. One thing I want to backtrack on slightly is that I, I, I laugh now. I go back to opening day, and the Red Sox, where they held to like, you know, two hits or something, and we're all saying, Oh God, this seems gonna suck. Some guy named John freaking Means just shut them down. <laughs> and how ridiculous does that look now? You know? It's just I thought of that. Then you get the no hitter. It's amazing. The non I mean, there's got what is what is between a no hitter and a perfect game? A non Wait, so it, the wild pitch is what cost him, right? Just that's the, it for the a audience. Listening. Wild so pitch. wild pitch cost John Means, the guy who yeah. blanked the Red Sox the first game yeah. of the season. Now in a recent game. Would have had a perfect game, and he threw a wild pitch. I didn't yeah. see the pitch. Was it clearly a wild pitch to the catcher? I, I didn't see it. Man, who watches um, the Orioles? Come on. That's right. Yeah, to your point. Um, but yeah, I think uh, you know, getting shut down by John Means opening day looks a lot better now than it did a month ago because Means has been uh, terrific, uh, you know, for the Orioles this year. And um, but yeah, a, a twenty. How how do you face twenty seven guys? Not give up a walk or a hit and not get a perfect game. Well, that's how you throw a wild pitch. So means to an end. Means to an end. God, you just you're on fire, man. <laughs> you're on fire. I already just stole. To help you. You always nail these. You know, I already stole that. So our producer, uh, Tim McMaster, he's he, guys on top of everything. John means four and zero, one thirty seven. Wow. I, I thought that was Martin Perez. <laughs> John Means? Okay. He's been he's been okay. Yeah. He's been okay. I mean, well, see, so that's that's the temperance right there. So it, we're talking about all the good things about the Red Sox. Uh they don't have any depth whatsoever in their pitching staff in terms of talent. They have depth, but it's not very good. Right. It, they're an injury or a COVID scare or something away from going on a 10 or 12 game losing streak and the season going down in flames. Uh, but you know what? I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the positive, accentuate the positive right now. They're playing well. They look good. I'm enjoying the hell out of them. So it is what and it is. Let's go. We're engaged. We're engaged. I'm Which... married, dude. What are you talking about? Dude, I am. You are. Oh, is look got engaged on vacation? Uh, wait a minute. Is this breaking news? Apparently I'm engaged on the Red Sox. That's 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 it. <laughs> Us SOBs, we're, we're always engaged, whether it's Pat's. Celtics. Oh, the Celtics. Who we even talked about? Can we do a yet? minute on the Celtics before we got to go. A minute on the Celts. I think we have to. Season I mean, winding we? down. I'm look. I I want to get a Bruins discussion going, but that that's. I mean, that's my ambition every week, and that never happens. Hey, you get there eventually. Up. Playoffs are coming up. Play, playoffs. Are playoffs. Coming up. I'll give you a minute. Right. Playoffs are coming up. 
the Taylor Hall acquisition's been great. They got a legit second line. Tuka's back. He's healthy. I like their chances. I, the and thing. there is your Bruins minute. I actually want to talk about hockey a little <laughs> bit, but but it's really? not even about the Bruins. That's breaking news too. What do you? It's got about the us? it's about the Rangers. Oh that, man, that dude who got just punted and thrown oh, down to the ice. What was it? Tom Miller? Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. Wilson. Sure. He, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the statement the Rangers put out. So Tom Wilson, he just beat this dude up and threw him to he, the ice and almost probably killed him. Yeah. Aaron. He ragdolled him. So he could have killed him. He could have paralyzed him or it something. Was attempted right? murder. So the, the guy doesn't get suspended. He gets fined a little bit of money. Five grand. Five grand. Five grand. Yeah. Five grand. My the rate, Rangers put ahead. out the best statement I've ever seen, basically saying this is an abdication of responsibility by the NHL. Yep. I love that. That they, they, unfortunately they got, they got fined, fined more. Right. They got fined fifty times more for that <laughs> statement than Tom Wilson got fined. Man, a hockey great. Hockey's so good. What a sport hockey is. You know, I gotta. Everyone says that hockey players are so tough and so great. Man, they wear sweaters to play a sport. You can't tell me a dude, dude playing a cart wearing a cardigan playing a sport is that tough. You know, Sheila, you can Sheila, you can you, dance you around on the ice. Us. You always enlighten us. Dance around on the ice all you want with your little skates and your little fists and whatever. Oh. And you get you you get a stick. Ooh. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, hockey players. Hockey, hockey. hockey. Get hockey. out of here with your hockey stuff. Bruins are gonna come by and beat the hell out of Shield. Yeah, no. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> they are legitimately are tough the, the toughest first. athletes. Yeah. And here comes Tom Wilson into the Sheely basement as we speak. Let him um, come. I, I, I'm hesitant to to turn the conversation in this direction, but there was a great, very brief, but very great article on Deadspin about this whole situation. And it said, if this were the NBA and not the NHL, because the whole narrative with you know this happening in the NHL is, oh, these guys are tough, they're gritty, they're policing themselves, this is what the game's all about, fair. Okay, you can make that assessment. But he said, all right, switch it up. If this was the NBA, not the NHL, what's the narrative? They're thugs. They're gangsters. This, that, you know, it would be the malice at the palace part two. Exactly. And he's not wrong. Ever yeah. since Ron Artest. That's that's exactly. I mean, ever since then. Yeah. I mean, you can't do anything in the NBA now policing yourself. No, that's oh, yeah. it's just. Right. Yeah. I mean, that goes down a whole other road, but I think that's definitely a good point you brought up, Matt. I think it's just uh, it's totally I different. I brought it up. It was it was a that guy on Deadspin that brought it up and, and he's and he's right. It's you know, it's it's a racial different element, set of rules, to be honest, you know, very much a racial element. And uh, if this went down to the NBA, the oh, my God, the conversation about that. Yeah, man. Imagine so, Skip Bayless on uh, whatever network he's on now. Just yeah. Wah! Oh, my yeah. God. Exactly, exactly. But uh, on a more positive swing with regards to the NBA, yeah. uh, there was a young man by the name of Jason Tatum who put up 60 points. Tatum, oh, two. show the muscle. Tatum takes it, takes it. This is for 60 in the game. Sounds like a lot. I, I believe it is. Uh, tied uh, another man named uh, Lawrence Joseph Bird for most all time. Uh, <laughs> in a Lawrence Joseph Bird. I love it. Google him. He was good. Yeah, he was uh, now, Larry did his 60 in four quarters, in fairness. Uh, Tatum had the extra five minutes to, to put up his. But, you know, that that game, we I think we say this every week about a certain Celtics game. And this week, it is that game that encapsulates what the Celtics have been this year. They're losing by about 4,000 points at halftime. They rally. They come back. They need overtime to beat the Spurs. Tatum goes off. And I had such 
mixed emotions about that game because what Tatum did was great, but my God, how do you go out there in front of a home crowd, a socially distanced home crowd? I get it, but still, you're still home. There's still fans. And how do you put up, how do you throw that garbage out there for two quarters? And that just, I mean, I, I couldn't get a full appreciation for what Jason Tatum did because of how bad the whole team was in the first two quarters. And I feel like that's the tug of war and the push and pull that the Celtics have brought their fans on all year. Yeah. You summed it up right there at the end. I think it's a weird team. It really is. It's a team that has not been able to take positive elements from games or streaks and carry it through and make it a part of who they are. It's like they have a few good games as a team. Someone gets hurt. There's someone gets butt hurt about something or someone's whining about something. And then all of a sudden they go in the other direction. It's just a really uh, help me out with the word up and down team mentally about what they're trying to be like. They just can't say again. (laughs) Soft. Soft is one way to put it. Yeah, Uh, it just yeah, they can't ever get it right. Schizophrenic, I guess you could say in some ways in terms of their personality, just up and down and hard to get a feeling of who they really are, what their identity is. Even last year on the bubble, I kind of felt like they had a little bit more of an identity right now. It's could they win a playoff series? Maybe two. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, if it all came together and Tatum plays like that. Sure. Jalen Brown's healthy and Fournier is healthy and it comes together. Great. But it just feels like the consistency isn't really there with the team from game to game, week to week. Not when they're losing to the Thunder, who couldn't beat us in a pickup oh, game right God. now. I mean, so that, true. They have just terrible losses. They they followed up a loss to the Hornets with a loss to the Thunder, and then they come back and they beat the Thunder. They beat the Spurs in that game that you're just referencing with the 60 points from Tatum in overtime. Uh, they fall to the Trailblazers. I'm not going to fault them for falling to the Trailblazers. They're good. I mean, we're we're you know Dame we can we can fault so them underrated. for the Thunder. Yeah, exactly. He's Dame Lillard so is nasty. God, it now was they, still a road game for Portland coming west to east true. in that situation. I didn't yeah. like that showing either. Yeah, I mean they they should win those games, but I'm not going to fault them for losing games like that too. They beat the Trailblazers earlier in the year, I think, in Portland. So yeah, I think they did. You, you know, th- those kind of come and go, but you cannot lose to the Thunder. You cannot lose to the Hornets, especially when we're coming down the stretch. There's what, six games left as we speak right now. They're two games behind the freaking Knicks. You know, right. Waymar, you had a conniption earlier this year talking about how they lost to the Knicks. Well, the Knicks are two games better than the Celtics right now. Yeah. They've got a they've got a really good series coming up right now. They've got six games left, like I mentioned. Two of them against the Heat, who they're in contention with for playoffs yeah. seating. And the last game of the season is against the, the Knicks. So this is going to have a Where's lot of intrigue. Uh, uh, off the top of my head, I think it is in New York. Okay. May 16th. Yeah. Um, you're right. I, I did have a, a slight conniption and, and big meltdown over that loss uh, to the Knicks. And, uh, I mean, that was another game. It's like. You're going to, yes, it's the NBA. Good teams are going to lose 30 times. I get it. But there's a, there's losing. And then there's going out there and just crapping yourself and embarrassing yourself. And to me, that Knicks loss fell into that category. The thunder loss that Steve, you referenced falls into that category, a team on a 14 game losing streak on the road and you can't beat them. It's just, I mean, and, and Darwin, again, to your point, it just, they just confound logic. Sometimes you, I mean, Again, as we sit here, uh, 24 hours ago, they beat the the Magic by, and the Magic suck. I get it. But they beat above, what, 40, 35, yeah. 40 points, which is what you're supposed to do to a bad team. But you just don't always get that output. You don't always get that effort from this team, and you keep hoping, you know, for that 
that flip the switch game. Like, okay, it all comes together. It all clicks. But Kemba from one game to the next, you don't know what you're going to get. Jalen Brown's been banged up. I think he's more hurt than people realize. Tatum's had some bumps and bruises. So, you know, the one thing that I I read recently, and I forget where I read it or saw it or even heard it, uh, was saying that I think a lot of what they're going through this year is the fact that Kemba can't play too too regularly. He he sits this back half of uh back or night to nights. Yep. Uh, game to game. Sorry. Uh, he uh. He's, he's just, you can't con- uh, count on him to be out there all the time. So right. the team doesn't know. And you go, I know you you guys love Marcus Smart and I do too, but he is not Kemba. They need Kemba Walker in that lineup. Oh, agree. Uh, and hopefully he can be there in the playoffs, but I don't know. I don't know who knows if he can be. And if he is there, will he actually be good? Well, that's, that's the point. That was, and you took it right out of my mouth. You need Kemba to be the best Kemba he can be for this team to have any chance. Mm -hmm. And and we haven't seen him consistently do that at all. He's had spurts where it looks like his knee is good. He's going to the basket. He hits that step back. He has good elevation on his jump shot. And then other games, he kind of looks out of it. And then you got to sit him. and the back-to-backs I know are planned, but even separate from back-to-backs, there are games he kind of disappears Overall, he's been trending in a good direction when he's on the floor the last month and a half. But in the playoffs, you got to have him at if you're playing the Sixers or the Nets or the Bucks to have any chance to be in those series. He has to be at the top of his game. I mean, they all do. It goes without saying, but especially him. I agree, Sheila, because he is the number three score. I wouldn't necessarily we can get into it's not worth debating if he's the third best player, but he's the third best scorer on the team. He needs to score the ball. He needs to be aggressive. And I'm not sure if he's ready to do that in a seven game series against the elite teams in the East. And, and he really and, takes it away from having just a one man show. Whoever has the ball, Tatum or Brown, too. Right. he really spices that up too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as good as the, the J team has been, uh, you, you know, you need that third parts of that three headed monster, which was the blueprint all along. You need Kemba and Jason and Jalen to be at their healthiest, uh, performing at their peak, you know, again, to, to beat the elite teams. And, you know, the Celtics are, they're not an elite team right now. It's, it's, you know, the, the cream of the crop in the East. And you mentioned it, you know, it's Milwaukee, it's Philly, as much as I hate them and it's Brooklyn and everybody else is fighting for scraps. So if, if you're going to have any shot against them, got to have all your weapons. Talking about having a shot. So we've been talking about the playoffs and alluding to them and their matchups that they're going to have. Who is the most desirable matchup in the first round that you want the Celtics to play? And who's the person, who's the team you don't want them to play? Not the heat. I mean, well, sorry, Matt, I I mean, interrupted you. Uh, You said, Matt said Philly. I said heat. And the only reason, I mean, I would agree with you Philly, but I'm saying I want, I, they, the Celtics should be in a, in the five, four matchup. Okay, I, they should not fall into six, seven, eight. So if the Celtics get into the five, four matchup, I would want them to not play the Heat. I hope it's the Knicks. So that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm hoping oh. it's or the Hawks four, five, and it's all pretty bunched together. If the Celtics fall to six, then they're playing the they're playing the Bucks, right? That's the way it looks. Or they're playing I one of those top so. three. Yeah. So that's a problem. They need to get into the five, four. So if they get into the five, four, they play say the Knicks or the Hawks. Hopefully the Heat wouldn't be there. Mm. They can I win that play series the Hawks right now. <laughs> Say again. I don't know if I want to play the Hawks right now. They've been amazing. So have the Knicks. I, I well, Den- Denver beat them up pretty good the other night. But yeah, the the Knicks. But if, if you know, gun to my head, I'd rather play the Knicks than the Hawks at seven days a week. Right. The only thing I'm petrified of is actually losing to the Knicks. Oh yeah. God, we'd never hear the end of that from oh, Knicks fans. 
I know. Uh, Knicks fans chirp when they win 16 games a year. I can't imagine what they would do if they won a first-round playoff series against oh, the Celtics. Dude, dude, they're already doing it. Just yeah. the fact that they're over 500 and they're going to the playoffs. I mean, you'd think that it's it's Walt Clyde Frazier and Willis Reed again, you know, heading out of the tunnel in game seven in 19, whatever it was, 70, 72. 72. Um, they're cel- 72. Yeah, they're celebrating like it's that Knicks team again. And look, when you've sucked for so long, I get it. You know, anything good, you're going to latch on to. But, you know, I think we're, we're already seeing it from Knicks fans. You know, the just the rejuvenation of, of the team. Regard, I mean, they can get swept in the first round. They're still going to consider it a successful year because they've been so bad for so long. So Yeah, actually being happy again is, is good for them, I guess. Um, I don't want to see them happy. I'd much rather see them miserable. Same with the Nets, oh, but course. apparently that's not going to happen this year. Yeah, uh, looks like they're about to get hardened back. So right now the Celtics are in the sixth spot. Uh, tied with the Heat, although they do have a tiebreaker. We're going to find out a lot about this team. Not that we already don't know much about them anyway. Mm-hmm. We're going to find a lot more about this team in the next couple of days when they play the Heat twice in a row. Um, so if they can get up, if they stay in the six, then they're matched up with the Bucks right now. No, there's no guarantee that the Bucks don't overtake the Nets because uh, the Bucks are trending up and the Nets seem to be trending down over the and last the week. the Bucks just beat them twice in a row, correct? Yeah. Yes. But, they, but the Bucks, the Nets are going to get hardened back very soon. He's just got to get out of the sixth spot. Got to get into the 5-4 matchup. That's Agreed. the key. Yeah, I agree. I certainly agree. Um, but so, Darwin, you were saying that like, the, the team you most want to avoid is Miami. The team I most want to avoid is Philly because, you know, and I, I hate Philly. And, and, you know, Embiid is a, is a, he's a poser and I, he's a great player, but I just, I've never liked the guy, but he, he kills, kills the Celtics ever since we lost Horford. He's killing so, everyone this year. Yeah. Oh, uh, he is. I mean, if I know the saying Jokic, probably a front runner for MVP after, you know, LeBron went down with an injury and, and Curry hasn't done quite enough all season, but, um, I can make a case for Embiid. I think a lot of people can make a case for Embiid. Well, yeah, he, he would hurt. be if he wasn't hurt. If he didn't get hurt for that few games, he would he would have had it. And yeah, I I would want to avoid the Sixers in the first round. So I'll agree with that. I was talking more in that four or five matchup. Right. Okay. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Uh, do we miss anything? We hit it all tonight. We hit all four teams, did we? For the first yeah. time. Well, just tell me, what do you guys think about the Bruins? How are they? Are they are they still <laughs> playing? Are they skating around in their little skates? We we had ten minutes on them, Sheila. I think he was blacked out during. Oh that. wow! Yeah, no, I wasn't here for that. Yeah, you black, you, you cut you caught a nap during the Bruins discussion, which is which is fine. Look, we all we all have our interests and in our and our personal wheelhouses, and you know what? Bruins, you're Hockey, you're still a Hartford Whalers guy, and I don't take, I don't blame you for that. You take my brass bonanza away from me, I'm going to be a pouty little girl for the next <laughs> thirty years of my life. Here but I isn't am. it cool that like you know, I mean the Whalers are no more, but you you can still lay claim to the greatest theme song in the history of professional sports. And it's not even close. That's right. I got visions of Kevin Deneen in there. Oh, yeah, man. wow. That's a great yeah. name. Kay Whitmore, their goalie, right? Sean Burke is what I remember. Sean Burke. Okay. And I think I was telling you, for those that don't know, I'm a native of uh, Binghamton, New York, and we had the Binghamton Whalers for many years in the 80s before the they left town and the Rangers came. Um, so I went to my first ever pro sports event was a Binghamton Whalers game. And, and they, they let us use brass bonanza. That's where I first heard it. I didn't even know Harvard existed. I heard that in a Binghamton Whalers game. You know, we've really come full circle on this podcast. We talked about whale tales in the beginning of the podcast and we're finishing with it at the <laughs> end too. It's nice. Oh man. On that note, because I'm not topping that line. The SOBs are signing off for episode four. Darwin Zook. A recovering Steve Sheely. 
And I'm Matt Waymeyer. Even though my computer says Mason Waymeyer, that's my six-year-old. I'm using this computer. Folks, we pull out all the stops to bring you this content for the Sons of Bellhorn. We'll see you next time for Episode 5. Be good.